often hear the question, can gaslighters get, quote, better? Can they stop doing gaslighting behaviors? Well, today I've brought on a special guest and you will get to hear the heart and actions of a person that was both a victim of gaslighting and the gaslighter for many years and is now not only free of the hold of that behavior, but is also helping many, many people heal. I'm Sarah Morales, the host of this podcast, and like I said in my last episode, I'm so excited to announce that all three of my offerings of my 12-week course are now open. So at the time of this recording, we are still waiting for my app to be approved, so things are a little bit glitchy in this interim, but spaces are already being filled. So if you're interested in taking your understanding of gaslighting to the next level, go check it out today at sarahmoralescoaching.com and click on the 12-week course tab. You can read all about the different offerings that I had. I also want to really quickly draw attention to the fact that I need you. Yes, you. <laughs> I need stories and and situations to deconstruct. I've had a few really great guests in the queue and um, I have a couple more coming up, but I don't have many more lined up after that. So if you've been waiting for the quote right time to submit your story, please contact me today. The link will be in the notes. The word of the day today is amends, as in the making of. So Merriam-Webster defines making amends as to do something to correct a mistake that one has made or a bad situation that one has caused. Now, when you make amends, you go further than just saying, I'm sorry. You acknowledge your errors, then take action to make up for what has happened in the past. Now, this can get a little confusing when it comes to gaslighting because someone who is not trying to truly make amends may say the right things and step into the Mr. or Mrs. Perfect role. Some may even acknowledge their quote unquote mistakes, but they lack the things that make for true amends. I'll unpack what to look for in a true amends when we get to set our alarm. But for today, let us go ahead and let me start by introducing you to my special guest today. My guest today is Dr. Jake Porter. Jake is a licensed professional counselor, national certified counselor, Door Institute certified professional coach, certified sex addiction therapist, certified multiple addiction therapist, APSATS, certified clinical partner specialist, and I could geek out about this one real hard for a while, y'all, a certified daring way facilitator, which if y'all don't know, um, Brene is my imaginary BFF. So that's why I could <laughs> geek out about this. <laughs> he is also the creator of Couple Centered Recovery, a model for treating attachment wounds, which is so amazing, of couples experiencing the trauma of betrayal. Dr. Jake is a level two packed clinician and has undergone extensive training in emotionally focused therapy. He has worked with couples from around the world who have traveled to Houston for treatment of severe attachment injuries and relational trauma. Jake has taught and presented research on the topics of theology, counseling, trauma, and addiction around the world. He enjoys teaching as assistant professor of counseling at Kairos University's Houston Graduate School of Theology, where he is lead professor of the Doctor of Professional Counseling program. Most importantly, y'all, he is husband to Kristen and daddy to Magnolia Jane. 
Now, I've known Jake for quite a few years, and while we've been able to have a variety of meetings and conversations, most of them have centered around attendance at a conference. So I'm grateful to have the opportunity with you here on my podcast. Welcome to the show, Jake. Thank you, Sarah. I've been really looking forward to this. I know it took a little while for us to actually mm-hmm. connect and make it happen, but I'm ready. Yay. I'm excited. And, yeah. And, you know, I know a lot of my listeners are really going to be able to um, connect with a variety of different points of the things that we're going to talk about today. So um, let's jump into it. Sure. I'm, um, as I said, you know, before we went kind of live and started recorded, I'm really excited to have this conversation with you today, you know, just getting your perspective on this thing that we called gaslighting. And I actually was, as I was preparing for this, I got really curious because I don't know that I've ever asked you this question, but do you remember how kind of where, when that kind of a thing you first heard of gaslighting? Sure, I do. Um, it was somewhere along my journey, uh, my professional journey, um, as I was learning about betrayal and and uh, probably during my APSATS training or somewhere okay. connected to that, heard this term gaslighting. Um, so I don't remember exactly where, but I know it was in a professional context. Okay. And then I heard that it was based on this movie. So, mm-hmm. of course, I went and found the movie, mm-hmm. watched mm-hmm. watched that movie, and I was uh, really struck by it. But I'll, I will tell you, and this is for real. I'm not just trying to, like, <laughs> you know, puff you up or whatever. <laughs> um, my my understanding of gaslighting and, and just all the various forms it could take really opened up mm. when you were part of the online choose connection summit that I did a few years ago okay. mm-hmm. and you, you, your session was on gaslighting. Mm-hmm. And when you talked about, you were very vulnerable and real and you talked about how you gaslight your own kids, you've caught mm-hmm. yourself doing mm-hmm. it. And I was like, Oh shoot. Mm-hmm. Like if that's, mm-hmm. if that's what we're talking about, mm-hmm. There's a whole lot more of this going on than what I was thinking. Yeah. And um and that really started a process, not not a formal process, but just that that got lodged in the back of my mm-hmm. mind and it kind of ran like a program that was okay. open in the background, <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh so that's been probably 3 years ago now, 2 3 years ago. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I mean, what you referenced was kind of, you know, I I talk a lot about how my journey of gaslighting has evolved. I've been, you know, working with gaslighting for close to nine years now since I was first introduced to it and how, you know, my understanding has both broadened and evolved. And for me, not just about what gaslighting is, but where I've seen it, right? Because for me, it was first, like, like how most people find it unless they're in a professional setting is like, oh, crap, this is what's been happening in my intimate partnership, right? And there's a name for it, and I didn't know it, right? And now I know I have a word, which is so empowering, right? That was the the first thing. And it was like, oh, shit, I, I now that I'm seeing this, like, I can see how I've done this to my kids. And then it was like, oh, shit, I've done this to myself, right? And then I entered a whole mm. new world of of how I gaslit myself out of many, many parts of my own reality and who I was and all of these different kinds of things. Um, so it sounds like you're saying that that was kind of a, a similar kind of journey for you. Yes. That it's like, oh, like I really kind of saw it as maybe by now a lot of my listeners know about my scale, like just this small part of the scale that I, that, you know, I, yes. I think I talked about in that, that thing with you, you and did. your summit which is where most people start, right? And it's where still a lot of people are today, but then it's like, oh, there's this whole other part of the scale. 
Right. Um, I'm curious how often you see the topic of gaslighting coming up in the work that you do with couples and attachment issues. Oh, it's, it's huge. You know, so um, I would say 95%, and that's a very conservative estimate, so mm-hmm. probably more than that, mm-hmm. of the clients I see are dealing with attachment issues that are specifically, uh, at least in part, the result of hidden betrayal, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And where there's hidden betrayal, you could almost bet it's a real safe bet that there's been gaslighting yep. going on, right? Yep. And so really, it's a, it's a dynamic that I deal with every day in mm-hmm. my office. Mm-hmm. virtually. Yeah. Yeah. And I bet, you know, for me, I know one of the things that really caused me to kind of get my sciencey mathy brain out and kind of research gaslighting more thoroughly was clients that I saw whose um spouse partner whatever was the betrayer, right? Or addict, whichever category they fell into, sure. was now doing really well, right? Mm. As far as sobriety was concerned or illicit behavior was concerned. They weren't doing any of that, but they were still doing gaslighting behaviors. And it really, right. it caused them to to really kind of um, be hooked by trauma over and over and over again, because they were like, well, I don't understand if they're still gaslighting, then they must still be acting out or they must still be betraying me or whatever. Right. And, but they weren't right. They were, they were right. actually working a good recovery. And so that's what got me really curious is like, okay, well, if it's not only, you know, in this way that gaslighting shows up, then why is it still showing up, right? Like, why are these behaviors that are similar to what they used to do here, but with a different motive or a different mm-hmm. reason, right? And a different level of awareness over right. here. And so that's what one of the primary motivating factors I saw for myself when I was like, I gotta, I gotta figure this out. Like I gotta get, I gotta dig deeper because this is not helping my clients the way that it could be. Like if I could help them see it differently. So, um, I'm curious, I know I'm putting you on the spot. Um, do you have any examples or a story that conveys a common situation that you might see in the work that you do? Oh, sure. I mean, there's the, there's the real obvious ones, you know, like, um, uh, say, a, a, a someone who's been betrayed um, says, why are you getting home late mm-hmm. so often? Oh, no, mm-hmm. I'm not getting home. I'm you know, late. It's, this is about how late I've always been. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, everything from that, just real common, mm-hmm. straightforward, to the more subtle um, uh examples for for example something like no i really am working hard at my recovery mm-hmm. you know where maybe the, the, this person he or she whoever is checking the boxes and doing the things but their partner has this gut sense mm-hmm. that they're just going through the motions but mm-hmm. well, you can't really prove that and mm-hmm. in fact the objective data uh, might even be in in the one who's doing the gaslighting in that person's favor, but there's an internal disconnect, right? And the partner is, is picking up on that, Mm -hmm. but, but the other is denying it. Mm -hmm. Um, That's, that's really tricky to deal with, right? Because we're really just there working off of a sense of intuition and Mm -hmm. attunement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
That's interesting because you you know you bring up the attachment piece. And I know when when I go to the kind of more unaware gaslighting that people might do, you know, I make up a couple is having issues, especially if someone has like an insecure attachment, right? We're gonna start geeking out about attachment stuff, right? Like if someone has an insecure attachment and their person, you know, needs space after an argument or whatever, right? And that triggers their insecure attachment. Like, wait, you can't leave me. Like, you know, you can't have space. That that makes me feel like you're, you hate me or, you know, any of those types of things. And so the gaslighting that could happen with where we don't understand that we're blaming the other person for issues that are kind of under the the surface, you know, the whole proverbial iceberg kind of image, like what's under the tip of the iceberg. I make up, you see that a lot in the attachment work that you do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, and I actually think that most of the time I'm I'm very hesitant to say all (laughs) always about (laughs) anything, Mm -hmm. but I think that, that the vast majority of the time, what we're dealing with is that someone has a, like a very core wound Mm -hmm. around the, around reality is actually okay. what I would call it. And so I'm, okay. I'm drawing here from the work of, of PM Melody, if people are familiar mm-hmm. with her mm-hmm. and her uh, post-induction therapy model. She talks about um, five core wounds, core issues that come up developmentally uh, through relational trauma when we're young. And one of them is that the nature of all of us, every person is born imperfect. Now she would also say perfectly imperfect, but the reality Mm -hmm. is none of us is perfect, right? Right. We're going to misuse words when we're learning to speak and we're going to spill our milk when we're learning to hold a cup and we're going to fall down, you know, and, and that continues on. And what happens is when a child, whether explicitly or implicitly receives the message that it's not okay to be imperfect, Mm. then they're going to have a problem with dishonesty. It, it's it's yeah. a necessary result, right? Yeah. Because if my, if I think the reality is that you expect me to be perfect, and I know that the actual reality mm-hmm. is that I'm not, mm-hmm. what other choice do I have? Right. But either embrace the fact that I'm terrible, horrible, no good, very bad person, mm-hmm. or put on a false front and mm-hmm. do whatever it takes to preserve what I think is your image of me as perfect. Right. 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 And so- yeah, I mean, and so much I think of that, that's the root. Yeah, no, no, go ahead. I was gonna say so much of that happens at the subconscious level too, right? Like it's yeah, it's, it's a it's, reflex. Exactly, it's so it reflexive. Takes, yeah. So the partners that are out there that are curious about you know this kind of thing, like it takes a little while to reprogram and to rewire those automatic defenses, and that's why you could potentially see gaslighting behaviors still showing up, even though they're not actively trying to lie or manipulate or deceive you in any way. Um, no, it's, it is yeah. so, it's happening so quickly in the other person's, yeah. you know, brain and nervous system. There's no choice involved. Now, I want to be clear about this. I talk about this a lot with my clients. These automatic reactions, we don't choose to do them. Mm-hmm. But we can choose not to. Now that's a subtle distinction, mm-hmm. but I think it's really mm-hmm. important. Super so important. I don't choose to do the automatic behavior, but I can choose not to with awareness, mm-hmm. with practice, with mm-hmm. right, you know, like mm-hmm. intention, effort, and focus. Yes. Um, over time. Yes, that's so good. I've I've heard it described as open, like broadening our window, right? Yes. Like that the pause. 
I can't yes. remember if that's a Brene Brown thing or not, but but basically the pause between when the stimulus happens that's that exactly kind of triggers right. that, right? Yeah. Um, and the pause before we actually utter something and learning how to broaden that window of pause, we can't help maybe the initial thought, which might be that defense mechanism, which would be a gaslighting response, right? We yeah. can't necessarily help that that comes up, but we can make a window long enough and big enough so that we can choose to not respond with that, even though it came up and we can respond with a help of a response instead. Exactly. Correct? Yeah. That's exactly right. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that could be a whole nother podcast. We should probably yes. <laughs> get to, to what the topic was right. about today, which, um, I know not all of my, my listeners, but definitely a large majority of my listeners, um, have either a church background or currently go to church in some way. And so I kind of wanted to shift into this thing that you and I talked about in our, in our original interview, which, um, which ties into the church world. And so, um, in addition to being a therapist or a counselor, I'm not sure which one you would call yourself, um, you're a pastor, correct? I was, you I was a okay. pastor for 13 years. Okay. Uh, until 2017, I began doing clinical work full-time. Okay, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Um, but And this story kind of, well, today's topic kind of ties into both your childhood and that time that you did spend. How long were you a pastor? For 13 years? I was a pastor 13, 13 years. 13 years, okay, yeah. you just said that. 13 years, um, yeah. And I know that you and I had talked about, at some point, you began to realize that you had experienced some gaslighting growing up in the church. Is that true? Is that accurate? That is accurate. Yeah. Yes. Can you ex expound on that a little bit? Yeah, I can. Um, you know, and I can, as I, as I prepare to do this, I can feel coming up within me, mm. this part of me that wants to uh, protect these people who I dearly love, you mm -hmm. know, and make all the disclaimers. I don't think they did it on purpose, mm -hmm. I, you know, all mm -hmm. of this, uh, which is true. I don't, yeah. I don't think that's the case. Um, Still, though, looking back now, I do think that there was, there is often in some faith communities, um, a, a, a gaslighting atmosphere at work. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the biggest example of this that, that I think takes place around is kind of what I was saying earlier about that reality issue of our own imperfection mm. is when everyone's got that front facing persona that they're okay. Mm -hmm. You know, so you ask someone, how are you doing? And the, and the standard and expected response is, Oh, I'm blessed. I'm mm. blessed. Right. <laughs> yes. And, uh -huh. and, mm -hmm. and so it's like, gosh, does anyone around here have a problem? Now there, there mm -hmm. was a small list of acceptable problems, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So for sure. example, Someone dies. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll grieve with you around that. Mm -hmm. It's okay. You know, or, um, um, a, a child, you know, like a child is wayward or something mm -hmm. like that. You right. know, oh, yeah, because that's <laughs> mm -hmm. a good way to actually scapegoat someone else and look at a pro the problem mm -hmm. of someone out there. Mm -hmm. But where were the people struggling with depression? Right. And, ang and crippling anxiety and, where were the people who were just being honest that, hey, our marriage is hanging on by a thread? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And here's, here's this community that is supposed to, uh, that claims to be a place where people can come and bring 
bring their burdens, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 have others bear their burdens with them. Mm-hmm. And yet no one's being vulnerable. And mm-hmm. then when someone ventures out and does, ooh, that causes all kinds of anxiety in the whole system. And we've gotta we've gotta tell this person they just need to pray more, read their Bible, trust more, whatever it is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, And that this isn't the place for that, whatever that is that they're trying to bring in. Yeah. Yeah. I I remember, too, I think in line with what you're talking about. And and this happened, um, I don't know, man, probably less than seven years ago when I was still kind of running some groups outside of a church. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I remember one of the ladies and and again, not to bash or just to, to use these things as an example because we're trying to highlight the unaware right side of gaslighting so that we can all do better. Right. Um, But I remember this woman talking about how she was feeling angry with something her like husband was doing. And, um, and so she was asking the other ladies in the group to, you know, to pray with her that like God would take away her anger. Right. And I'm just Mm. like, or maybe you're supposed to be like inside, yeah. right? Because I wouldn't, I wouldn't have said it to her then. I'm like, or maybe you're supposed to be angry, right? Like right. maybe this isn't a feeling that God is supposed to take away from you or relieve you from, right? Like, and so there, it's kind of like not only were there acceptable struggles, I feel like especially anger. I don't know about you, but in in the kind of culture, church culture that I grew up in, anger was okay, but it was only pretty much righteous anger, right? Like Jesus, when he tossed over the tables, like it's only right. if you're like calling out other people's shit, can you be angry, yeah. right? It's right. like, not if you're angry about some injustice against yourself, right? That's right. You're supposed to That's turn right. the other cheek and you're supposed to like do all of these things. Forgive. Yeah, right. And it was like, so (laughs) speaking of gaslighting, right? Like per my definition is anytime somebody convinces you that your feelings are invalid. Yeah. Right. That's right. So our reality, our feelings are part of our reality. Absolutely. Yeah. That's right. There. And, and, and again, kind of like to your point, most of the people that we grew up with, I think we're fairly close in age. I might be a little mm-hmm. bit older than you, but um, you know, they're like what? How many years have, has this kind of the same kind of messaging been propagated? Right. So to to where we're going to go next, like they were probably told the same messages, so they didn't really sure. know any better, right? Like they weren't intentionally right. trying to no. manipulate us and gaslight us to not talk about the things that we're angry about, right? That's right. I mean, yeah. th- it's it was it's a cultural norm. I yeah. mean, that's that's the reality. These are cultural norms that get passed down. These messages. I, I love your example about anger. It's one I bring up with my clients a lot. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. that really, it's my belief that every emotion has a good, meaningful function. Like mm-hmm. there's a reason mm-hmm. for every single emotion, and mm-hmm. we need to listen to it. Yeah. That doesn't mean we're controlled by it or given over to it. But there's data there right yeah um but i yeah i totally got that message anger's bad anger's dangerous mm-hmm. uh, we can't be safe in relationship if there's anger mm-hmm. you know that that but but that was not a, an explicit message mm-hmm. at all no, no one would say that to mm-hmm. me and yet something in the atmosphere right mm-hmm. uh, carried sure. that message and it's formative, right? So if you mm-hmm. grow up in one of these communities, this is a formative influence uh, on on you and who mm-hmm. you are and are becoming. 
Mm-hmm. And so it's absorbed within us without our knowledge. Yeah. 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 And there's so many of those things. I think I, I love the way that you said that because there there are lots of things that I will talk about when I'm talking about gaslighting that, that you know, I love the list and all these things that people will put that put out there about, you know, like common gaslighting phrases. But I've found some of the most potent gaslighting is more what's missing than what's actually mm. overtly said. Um, and 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 also kind of the underlying energy that you experience around things that are being said. Right. Mm. So I know I've talked about it before and in other episodes um, where there was so much dysfunction around the topic of sex and sexuality in the very conservative Christian culture that I grew up in. Right. Where it was so shamed. Right. Right. And there was I, I remember going to this one camp and I, I shared a different story, so I'm going to share a different one. But I remember one of my camp counselors talking about how, you know, she had been promiscuous and fortunately, she found this guy that would still want her, basically. Oh, wow. Was the message, right? Like, I can't remember yeah. her exact words, but it was like, thank, thank goodness, right? Because if I, if, you know, like, who was going to save me, <laughs> like, from a, yeah. a life of doomed, like, being by myself because I happened to have sex before I got married, right? There was so much shame. I'm not, right. I'm not like, saying, like, people get to have their own values and their own beliefs about what they want to do when they want to do it, right? Like, whether it's sin or not and all that kind of stuff. But but the shame that was around that to the extreme yeah. of being like, you might as well be discarded, right? You're right. just like horrible and nobody would want you right. to be your life partner if you happened to do that particular sin, according right. to the culture that I grew up in. So a lot of, a lot of things, um, and like to your point, that wasn't necessarily ex- explicitly said or... Yeah, it was more implied, right? And there was an energy and there's just a heaviness. Yes. Anytime the topic of of sex was brought up, you know, which of course it was in the promise rings and all of the, all of those things that were part of the culture that I grew oh, yeah. up in. Um yeah. yeah. So I I'd love to take it into, you know, when you then became a pastor, right? And and you communicated to me which I thought was so powerful and this is something that I think could be really healing for a lot of people is that you actually, you told me you actually began to realize like, hold up, (laughs) hold up. Like I'm, I'm doing this. Like I didn't, I was unintentionally repeating these patterns and and you were unintentionally gaslighting your congregation. Yeah, I was. uh, And I was doing it on a lot of different levels. Mm. Okay. A lot of different levels. Um, one was just sort of propagating the culture Mm -hmm. that I came up in and that now I'm a leader in this culture and, um, think like even non-conscious things, the, the liturgy. And I don't mean like formal high church kind of liturgy. Mm -hmm. I mean, the patterns Mm -hmm. of, of, of engagement in the worship service process and all this, all of that conveys a message and, and even within that, um, uh, okay, I'll, I'll give you an example. Awesome. Someone said to me one day, someone who was uh, um, outside of my faith community, part of a different faith community, um, and, and who I now I look back and I know this person was in a very good, healthy, positive way challenging me okay. and, and was effective in doing this. They asked me, 
why do y'all only sing happy songs mm. in church? Mm-hmm. I said, well, what do you mean? They said, well, you know, like if you look in the Bible, the book of Psalms, which is was the songs of the mm-hmm. people of God in the Old Testament, right? Mm-hmm. It's like their hymnal, lots of lament, mm-hmm. lots of lots of angry songs and sad mm-hmm. songs and despairing songs. Why why don't y'all sing any sad songs? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, that's a good question, <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's at that sort of formal liturgical level. Sure, where's the space? In the in the corporate worship process, for those emotions, mm. pain, mm-hmm. grief, mm-hmm. you know, loss, anger, even yeah. Um, do, do we have to walk in? Okay, here's another one, and and mm-hmm. people will probably snicker on this. Mm-hmm. How many times have you walked into a a church service, and one of the first things you hear from the worship leader or whoever does the welcome or whatever is? I want you to leave your problems at the door. Mm. Just just set those down at the feet of Jesus and just, you know, mm-hmm. look at him and you know, we're going to have a joy joyous morning today. Mm-hmm. Right? In other words, whatever that bad stuff. I know people can't see I'm doing air quotes right yeah. now. The bad feelings, <laughs> uh-huh. the bad parts of your life. Yeah. Leave that out there. There's no place for that in mm. here. Mm-hmm. Or Maybe they wouldn't say it that way. Maybe they would say, what you really need is this in here and not to deal with that out there mm-hmm. or a break from that out there. I mean, there's all sorts of ways you could, could you know, tease it out, mm-hmm. but that's, that's denying a huge part of the human experience. Yeah. So, so there's that on that sort of like real high level, corporate level, mm-hmm. but on a much more personal level, um, so this is no secret. I talk about this on podcasts and stuff all the mm. time. I'm in recovery myself. Okay. Um, I'm I'm a recovering uh, sex and love addict, mm-hmm. and um, I did not get into recovery until I was several years into being a pastor. Mm-hmm. So so it doesn't take much to put together <laughs> mm-hmm. um, <laughs> that I'm I was presenting a false front. Yeah. To people. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, looking back, I, I would have never had the awareness to see this then, or at least I don't think I would have. Maybe, maybe I would have, but I don't think I would have. But today I can look back and there were people in that faith community, particularly, I would say others on staff with me okay. who worked really closely with me, mm-hmm. who I think knew something was off. Okay. and they lovingly tried to find a way in with mm, me. Mm-hmm. But I only, <laughs> mm-hmm. I only put out there my, my false front, yeah. that persona. Yeah. You know? Um, and that I'm certain that that happened also in the pulpit. Mm-hmm. I'm certain that happened in counseling sessions, mm-hmm. pastoral counseling sessions. You know, I know it happened in small group situations and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, I'm, I'm wondering then, like, is, was the awareness that you were kind of perpetuating some of those things, did that happen like way later, like after you were already outside of being a, a pastor or what did it start to happen while you were 
internally yeah. and still there. Right. So I, I think that there were, were sort of layers to this for me. Okay. Um, I mean, when I first got into recovery in the mid two thousands, I guess it was, um, I didn't know the term gaslighting yet, sure. mm-hmm. but I, I did know I was lying. Mm-hmm. I did know that I was, uh, um, I, there was a, a hypocritical, uh, element mm-hmm. to my behavior. So I was aware of that. Um, and when I got into recovery then, and I, I, I was in a 12 step program and work the steps and all that, mm-hmm. and, you know, the fourth step is where you do a fear, fierce, uh, and searching moral inventory, you yes. know, um, <laughs> you list all those character defects mm-hmm. and it was a, it was a very good process for me. It was important mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. And in the midst of that, I, um, I did begin to make amends cause then okay. shortly after that, you know, comes steps, um, seven, eight, nine, where we're yeah. the amends process. Yep. Right. And so I, I had to make amends. And, um, some, sometimes when, um, when to go and make direct amends would do harm, mm-hmm. uh, your sponsor might have you create something called a living amends. So in case listeners don't know what that is, a living amends is where, okay, I can't necessarily go to that person. Maybe they're dead. Maybe they moved on. Maybe it would do harm to them to bring this up. Yeah. Um, or whatever. Now, People also use that as an excuse to not yes. tell their partners things. I <laughs> yep. don't, that is not what I mean. That's, so I just want to be real different. clear about yep. that. Yep. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about using it as an excuse. Mm-hmm. Um, so a living amends then means I'm going to do something differently in a proactive way in my day-to-day life as a, as a direct uh, sort of re- uh, response to the wrong I did in the past. Mm-hmm. And, and I began to try to make a living amends in several different ways. And, uh, I, all my sermons used to be online. They've been taken down since, mm-hmm. but you could actually hear mm-hmm. in my tone of voice, mm-hmm. in the content of my sermons, mm-hmm. a more compassionate, softer, I would say authentic, mm-hmm. uh, message coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it was a it was a shift that that people noticed. Mm-hmm. I think they chalked it up to me growing up because uh-huh. I was very young when I started pastoring. Uh-huh. I was only twenty one when they oh, wow. hired me. Yeah. yeah. So I think they they chalked it up to growing up, which in a sense I was. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was one shift that happened okay. for sure. Okay, mm-hmm. I love that. Um, so I'm curious, and again, I know I'm I'm giving you a lot of these questions. Uh, on the fly kind of a thing. But um, I'm wondering if in retrospect, you can see the impact that it had on your congregation, the gaslighting that you did, both the the perpetuating of the corporate and the kind of more personal side of things. Yeah. So I think that, um, I think that when you're a leader, you're, there's a reciprocal relationship between you and the group you lead yeah. so that you have a formative effect on them and they have a formative effect on you. And at some point you're just mirrors of one another. Does Mm -hmm. that, does that make sense? Absolutely. And so, you know, when I look back now, I think that, 
some of the what I would say weaknesses of the church were they they fit mm-hmm. with with my in authenticity mm-hmm. that of course the gaslighting grew out of. So for yeah. example, we were a very heady church. Okay. Okay. Because that? that fits mm-hmm. my personality. I'm sure. a geek. Absolutely. Right. You know, mm-hmm. but we were a very heady church. Lots of Bible study. Lots of, okay. not a lot of like deep community. Mm-hmm. Not a mm-hmm. lot of prayer, uh, formal prayer. Yes. But, um, you know, I, I've been a part in my, in various, situations of of prayer that's extremely vulnerable corporate prayer where people are truly sharing pouring out their hearts that wasn't happening a lot mm-hmm. right and so i think that there's a that when i was up there gaslighting i was i was not only withholding reality about myself but i was imposing on them a template mm-hmm. for how they could live out their faith in a way that was missing Mm -hmm. all of reality Mm -hmm. because my faith life was missing all Mm -hmm. of reality. Wow. Yeah. And, and eventually I'll, I'll share this. So I don't talk a whole lot about this. I'm starting to talk about it a little more. Mm -hmm. So um, I was in recovery, had a good run for many years and then I relapsed. Okay. I was still a pastor and it was, um, it was it was a very painful thing. Yeah, I'm sure. And when I relapsed, so one thing that I I I wish I had done, and who knows how it would have played out. But when I first got into recovery, I wish I had either exited the pastorate right then, mm-hmm. okay, or come out and talked about it right then. Yeah. But only a small group of people, like on a need to know basis. Mm-hmm chairman of the deacons, mm-hmm. fellow staff, whatever, mm-hmm. really knew that this was a part of my life, mm-hmm. recovery uh, stuff, right? So then years later, I relapsed and that was a painful thing. I kind of came to my senses. I doubled down on my recovery, got back into therapy uh, in about Eight weeks after my relapse, I was probably in a better place than I had been in years, mm. just emotionally, spiritually. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a, it was a real wake up call. But someone with whom I had shared my story decided that others needed to know my story. Mm. And mm. when my story was shared, it was shared in a way that a lot of past stuff and present stuff got all mixed up. And it was mm. it was a really bad deal. Yeah. So what happened then was um, the church uh, split actually several times. Okay. And I I can see now I had not led them to have a space Mm. to deal with an issue like, like my relapse. Yeah. By withholding that, Mm -hmm. I actually set up this horrible, painful experience mm-hmm. um, where, you know, it was, it was hurtful to my family because my parents, grandparents, aunts, uncle were members there, you know, um, and it was, it was really sad. The church split actually more than once. And then 
this is the first time I've ever talked about this publicly, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I, I'm going to go there. Thank and you. then they brought in another leader, and guess what that leader did? Gaslit the hell out of them. Mm. It was crazy. And then now I'm on the outside looking in, yeah. and this guy is telling them things about me and what I taught that were not true and telling them things about like the history of the denomination and all this stuff that oh, were wow. just like categorically not true, trying to get this church now to – um in his mind, get back on track. Right. In my mind, it was undoing whatever good I had done yeah. <laughs> at the time I was there. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But it was a total gaslighting experience. Mm. And they mm. and they just went along with it. And guess what? I have to own that I'm part of why that happened. Yeah. It was terrible. It was, yeah. it was a horrible couple of years. Yeah. Sounds like it was a lot of trauma for everyone. Mm-hmm. Right? Like just everyone. Um, it was. Which is really hard, and I really am am just so impressed and grateful for your vulnerability um, with with the, my listeners and and me. Um, and I think for me that that takes me into probably my last question for our interview time, and and that would be just like for people that have experienced um, some some trauma in the church. Well, maybe not even church. I could just say spiritual, right? Any kind of spiritual gaslighting. Um, what would you say to them? How would you encourage them or um, validate? Like, what what comes to you? Like, what would you want to say to those listening who are like, "Well, shit, yes, that's what happened in yeah. my church, and that's why I won't go into, <laughs> I won't step through the door." Right? Like, I know that there are people out there. I know, like, I was one of them yeah. for a long time. Right? Like, I was like, oh, yeah, but no, like, I'm not going. <laughs> right? Like, um. So I'm curious what you would say. Well, so a couple of things. One is I would say um, find healthy people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we need healthy people. We need reality checks. We mm-hmm. need people on the outside who can see our blind spots or those parts of us that we have a hard time seeing ourselves. Mm. So find those people. One one resource that I'll mention if it's okay. Yeah. Uh Stacy Sadler, you know Stacy. I do. Uh mm-hmm. she's a LPC uh professional counselor in the Houston area. Actually just joined my team Yay. at Daring Ventures. Mm-hmm. Um, but she started a nonprofit called Beautiful Outlaws. Mm-hmm. And okay. their mission, I may not get this wording exactly correct, but it's something like to enlist, equip, and empower. Um uh, people to speak the truth of their trauma to power in mm-hmm. love. Nice. And, and they, they want to be a healthy place where people can see that this has happened to them mm-hmm. and then be equipped. How do you go and in a, in an actual loving and effective way confront, mm-hmm. cause that's what we're doing. Yeah. Challenge. Yeah. Um, the leadership structures just to try to help them see what they're doing. So that's called Beautiful Outlaws. Okay. Um, I think it's probably beautifuloutlaws.com. You could Google mm-hmm. it or go to stacysadler.com and she's got a link there. Okay. Uh, but that's a group that um, might be a good resource. But But the other thing I would say is that you may have to leave that community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is painful. I know it's painful. Even, yeah. even when I had resigned being a pastor, even when all of the painful stuff around the splits and all that, you know, and then want, some wanted to 
discipline me and shame me publicly and all this kind of stuff. Even with all of that, I was still going back to that church. Mm -hmm. And it was painful to leave. And but but we had to leave. And so if you leave, what I would say is know what you're looking for in your next community. Mm -hmm. What are the accountability structures around the leadership? Yeah. What's the level of transparency mm-hmm. there, right? Um, do they empower people in their congregation, mm-hmm. in the faith community, or is power concentrated among mm-hmm. a small few? That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Right? These are things to look for to to try to find a healthier community. You're not going to find a perfect one. Right. Okay. They don't exist. But, <laughs> but if you're mm-hmm. going to have to find a new one, be really intentional yeah, about like where you go and plug in. That's good. That's good. And I'll follow up with some more thoughts and we get to the set your alarm. But for now, let's go ahead and take this into the deconstruction zone. In today's deconstruction zone, I'm going to do things a little bit differently. I'm not going to deconstruct gaslighting behaviors or a gaslighting situation. Rather, I'm going to deconstruct how men's for gaslighting behaviors was made. Now, while Jake didn't do it perfectly, or we don't see an exhaustive example of amends, he gave a very good example of what a real amends looks, sounds, and most importantly, feels like. Now, for Jake, because he um, had an addiction, amends for him had to start with recovery. And whether your person needs to be in recovery or not, um, what's important to understand is the person that is doing the gaslighting behavior needs to be on some sort of intentional healing, therapeutic, or recovery path, okay? And not this half-ass bullshit we see from people who are not serious about getting healthy, right? When they're not serious about stopping their destructive and toxic behavior, anybody who's serious about it will be on an intentional thoughtful, deliberate path, okay? Part of that recovery process is doing a moral inventory. Now, again, whether you're in addiction or not, I think the 12 steps are something that most people can benefit from. And that moral inventory place where we look at and recognize our character defects is so profound. And like Jake said, while he didn't have the knowledge of the word or term gaslighting back when he was doing his moral inventory, he was able to acknowledge the things that he had done and made either direct or living amends as needed for the other person or people's best interests and healing. Not only did he say sorry, but he followed through with such a change in him that not only his messages as a pastor changed, but the whole tone in which he delivered them. And while he missed the boat early on in his recovery by only including a select few people to work his healing with, he has taken huge steps to be transparent about his journey and recovery since then. So this to me is the perfect segue into setting our alarm. Now, whether or not our gaslighter can get better and stop doing gaslighting behavior directly impacts our safety. And that is why this is such an important topic. One, in fact, I've dedicated a whole lesson in my 12-week course to. So, of course, I have a lot to say about this. 
For today, I'm going to point out two crucial things to be mindful of when you are trying to assess whether or not you think your gaslighter can quote unquote change. Okay. So firstly, look for whether or not your person is actually working on their stuff and living out their amends versus faking it by literally keeping track of their progress, right? This is one of the only ways that we can tell. We keep track of how they are responding to different things, how often they're gaslighting, what kind of gaslighting they're using, all of these kinds of things. And this is how we measure whether there is consistency over time, okay? Especially, this is crucial, consistency over time without resentment or withholding or punishing in some way, right? So this means that you can see consistent growth and change. Okay, we're not talking about perfection, but over time, you will be able to see these things, okay? Not just for a month or even a few months. This should not be a season of life. This should be a lifestyle for the person that is trying to heal from these toxic behaviors, okay? Um, secondly, uh, looking for a true amends. Now a true amends includes empathy and remorse. None of this. I'm sorry. You feel that way. Full stop bullshit, right? Like this, like kind of detached. I'm not responsible for your feelings. Therefore, all I have to do is say, I'm sorry. No, that's not enough, right? That lacks empathy and remorse, right? That's a pacifying statement. And that's why it's gaslighty. Um, When you are looking for a healthy response, empathy and remorse, along with acknowledgement, would sound something like, I'm sorry that you are feeling the way that you are, right? But you don't stop there, right? Doesn't that, that's that, I don't like it when people say, when people say that statement, they're being gaslighting. No, because that could be how you start your statement, right? I'm sorry that you're feeling the way that you are. I can see, I can totally see how my behavior in the past would stir up that feeling for you and how it would sound like I'm trying to gaslight you even now. Your fear and your sadness are valid. I know that I can't fix it for you, but I care that you're hurting. What would feel reassuring to you in this moment, right? So it starts off with, I'm sorry that you're feeling that way. Like that sucks. That's shitty. That's a a horrible way to feel. And I acknowledge how my behaviors are partially to blame for how you're feeling right now, at least partially, right? Like however much of the percentage of that, right? So, um, you deserve that kind of communication, okay? And what's important to understand is while you can give your person time to get there, you don't have to settle for less than that as the goal for where your person is trying to get and have it be something that they are actively working hard on, okay? That's it for the setting of the alarm today. And as I wrap up today, I want to invite you to go check out all the offerings I have on sarahmoralescoaching.com and follow me on your preferred social media platform. I'm on Facebook and Instagram as Sarah Morales Coaching, and I'm on TikTok as Sassy Sarah Deconstructs. I make up in the next week to two, I'm going to start releasing my video. So I'm real excited about that. These are all places that you can engage with me and the work that I'm doing. And again, I'll have the links in my show notes. All right. So before I um, wrap up this episode for good, <laughs> I wanted to talk a little bit about Jake. So and and his whole group, um, he started this uh, company, I guess, called sure. Daring Ventures. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Pro- it's a practice. Company? Practice. Yeah. There you go. Practice yeah. um, called Daring Ventures. And I have been sending people to him um, for years. 
like, well, whether or not they take me up on it, I can't say. But <laughs> whenever somebody asks, like, where can I go, what, you know, for for help in this or help in that, at any time it even remotely fits what Jake and his team does, I, he's just like one of my favorite resources to send oh, people to. Oh, of course. Well deserved, <laughs> sir. You've worked really hard. And, and, you know, we can see through this episode today, like you've gotten there because you've done the work. You've gotten to know yourself and be vulnerable and be okay, like owning your shit instead of letting shame consume you and all of the things that we look for when we look for how do we know if somebody's healthy. So yeah. thank you for showing that, right? Like mm, thank you. healthy people can, it might be hard, but we can talk about our shit, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> right. and so, yeah. So thank you for being a great example for a lot of people out there. Um, but I wanted to give you just a, a couple of minutes to let a, my listeners know um, how would they know if they should go and find you, like I'll have some links in my, in my notes. Um, but what are some things that you're really excited about, or maybe some like, um, programs that people typically seek you out for? Yeah. So, um, we have lots of stuff, lots of stuff out <laughs> there. Does. Okay. Um, the first couple of places I would send people if they just want to know more are to my my social media accounts. Yep. So Dr. Jake Porter on Instagram and Facebook. Um, I have a YouTube channel uh, nice. with lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of free videos. So, yes. Um, and I get emails almost every day of people who find those really helpful. And um, so I would say definitely check that out. You awesome. can learn more about our approach and, and just maybe find some really useful, practical stuff. Um, I have a free program that I offer couples called the 40 day choose connection challenge. Nice. And this is for anybody. It's not limited to, um, like situations of betrayal because that's okay. most of my clients. This is any couple who wants to get more real, get more authentic, get more mm. vulnerable and connect more. Mm -hmm. And it, it's a 40 day process of you get an email every day for 40 days and it takes you through. It's all based on the science of neuroplasticity, how mm. to change your brain and helps couples to um, kind of overcome those automatic things that we don't choose to do, but we can choose not yes, to do. Yes, we, like we were talking about, about mm -hmm. earlier. Really helps people put their finger on that and mm -hmm. see that stuff and make those I new choices. It. I love so it. So you can find that at daringventures.com slash 40 day challenge. Mm -hmm. um, I do work with people. I, I don't do ongoing therapy anymore. I only do intensives, disclosure okay. intensives, grief intensive, relational dynamics intensives. What what makes our program unique, I think, is that really and truly every single intensive we do is custom designed for that couple. There's mm -hmm. no formulaic one size fits all cookie cutter approach. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so it, it's a little bit of a pain to get through the intake process because we have you do so many assessments, but mm -hmm. it really is so that I have a thorough, robust, Nice. three-dimensional yes you know picture of what's going on and we know how to really help and so um if anyone's interested in that they could go to daringventures.com slash intensives there's a free webinar there that goes into a lot of more detail about all of that awesome but yeah i would love to work with anybody who's uh awesome uh yeah interested in any of that well thank you again so much for being on the pod today jake Thank you, Sarah. I appreciate you. I'm a fan of your work. So <laughs> keep up the good work. Thank you. 
And finally, thank you, my listener, for listening to today's episode. If you found it helpful and want to help me get it in the hands of more people who could benefit from it, please leave a review and subscribe. Additionally, if you can think of one person in specific who could benefit, please share it with them. And remember, it's not about becoming who you want to be. It's about awakening all that you already are. That's it for today. Take it away, Wendy. We got stars in-